Um, welcome to the podcast. Great Hi, to Rosie. have you with us. Um, Thanks for having me. And yeah, we've got some some interesting things going on in the world at the moment that uh, I wanted to talk to you about. Um, I mean, first of all, tell us a bit about yourself um, and and how we came to to be be working together. Yeah, I mean, where do I start? So, um, so first of all, my name is Michael Eunice. I'm a, I'm currently a professional MMA fighter contracted to Cage Warriors. Um, and I guess our story started um, when I I was preparing for, a, I can't remember, was it my pro professional debut, I believe, a few years ago? And uh, I, I was under management with a golden ticket management and uh, I had suffered a, what I, I just felt was a, a catastrophic injury to my, my neck and my back. Uh, damage, you know, I had, um, had some nerve damage. Um, ruptured a few of the discs in my back and was, was essentially told by the doctors that my career was over um, and kind of as a last, last ditch attempt to salvage my health and my career I was uh, referred to you Rosie and you know me being me because I've gone into all kinds of cowboy medical specialists in the past I was a bit really very skeptical and uh, Rosie basically you know with her sorcery <laughs> uh, managed to <laughs> manage to get me back to full health, and, and the rest is history. You know, um, other than that, I, um, you know, I'm, I'm part of the Renegade um, Team Renegade stable of fighters over here in Birmingham, one of the fastest growing and um, highest achieving uh, fight teams in the UK at the minute. Um, and I fancy myself as somewhat of a social commentator in my my later years. You know, I've got to do something once I stop fighting. Why not? talk <laughs> well it's been great working with you and uh, I have to say that you're out of all the um, the athletes I've worked with you're one of the absolutely most diligent when it comes to uh, to following the plan and doing all the exercises and things like that so I think that's, um, that's something that re really helps obviously when it comes to, to rehab so that's some it's um, it, it was an absolute pleasure working with you so since the time that that we started working together obviously I've got to know you a bit better um and followed your your exploits on social media as well as what we've been looking at in the clinic yeah. and I know that you're you're very interested in a lot of the things going on in the world at the moment and that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you today because I know there's been a lot of talk about Black Lives Matter and the Black Lives Matter yeah. movement, and um, I think there are some, there are some real questions to ask about sort of the relevance of this for yeah. for different communities. Uh, so yeah. I wanted to talk to you about your experiences with this, and also your views on on why this movement is needed. Is one of the things I hear a lot from people is, well, we already live in a really tolerant society. And racism isn't really a thing anymore. It was once upon a time it was, but these days people don't see it a lot of the time. So yeah. as I said, this is one of the reasons I really want to get you on to, to talk about this. And so you could uh, share your views on that. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Yeah, no problem. It's a, it's a pleasure and an honor to be here to be able to talk about these things. I mean, anyone that knows me and follows me on social media will know that I'm very vocal. Um, I'm unapologetic. I will speak my mind. I, I try to be careful as to not offend people. Um, 
But I also try to be as honest as I can about the way I, I view certain things. And if I don't know something, I genuinely will not speak on it or just learn. Sometimes it's just time to shut up and listen. And there'll be things, I mean, for, for instance, if, if there was an issue um, going on around the world in regards to women, I, I'm not a woman. So I may not be able to relate or understand what that issue may be. So that's time for me to shut up and listen. So for me to just close my mouth, sit down and say, oh, okay. I wasn't aware of that. Oh, that's interesting. And oh, okay. I, I, now I see from this point of view. And um, I think that we're going through um, a period like that around the world. Um, so the first thing I want to do is I just want to, to, to qualify the, the statement of Black Lives Matter because we need to distinguish, first of all, the difference between Black Lives Matter as a literal statement and Black Lives Matter as an organization. And I think this is where some of, some of the... the um, the, the conflicts and the, the, the anger from other people is coming because people hear, oh, Black Lives Matter, and um, they, they, they believe it's some kind of a political kind of um, narrative, a political uh, agenda, and, and they, they just, anything to do with politics, and if there's an agenda, I'm going to be against it. I don't care if it's for me, anyone, oh, just oh, the agenda. And then you see people getting angry and saying all kinds of nonsense. So first of all, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So when someone says Black Lives Matter, let's look at that as a literal statement. That should be a statement of fact. A Black life matters, an Asian life matters, the white life matters. Of course, right now the the issue has been that um, on a global scale, systematically, there has been discrimination against black people that's the issue at the forefront at the moment so with that being the issue at the forefront at the moment we as human beings owe a duty of care to whether it's a black person to a black person a white person to a black person just to black people in general to understand that your life matters your existence on earth is important and i cannot understand what is so difficult about that to understand people looking at oh well I hear the analogy a lot of the times when people say, well, if I say um, we're going to campaign for breast cancer, does someone run into a room and say, hang on a second, what about the rest of cancers? You know, they, yeah. they, they, they don't do that, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. And there is, there is, there is, there is something, there's something to be said about a human being who has a problem when he hears um, someone saying, like, well, my life matters. I'm, I'm a black person and my life matters. So we, we, we have to understand that black lives matter as a, should be a, a social um, and a moral fact of life. It just should be. And then we have Black Lives Matter as an organization, mm -hmm. that are a, a group of people. I don't know enormous amounts about the organization because I am not a member of Black Lives Matter. Yeah. So yeah. I can say Black Lives Matter yes. and believe Black Lives Matter without being um, involved within the organization. Yeah, so it doesn't mean that you support support everything that that organization necessarily stands right. for exactly exactly right so i can i can admire and be on board with some of their objectives and some of what they stand for and other things i may not necessarily be in line with but i agree when you say black lives matter and you are if, if you have certain things that you are fighting for and i agree with those things then i stand beside you that okay i agree with and that i will stand and on board with so yes. there are I, I, i'm not sure i don't know whether people are being intentionally dense 
and they don't they <laughs> cannot understand whether mm. that there's a difference between the two. Mm. Um, and I know many people who will um, have have say for instance a, a T-shirt that says Black Lives Matter, who will turn up at a rally, who have absolutely nothing to do with the Black Lives Matter organization, yeah. but they they commend the work they're doing right now in terms of bringing um, the, the, the problem to the forefront of, of society and for just believing that black people are important enough to want to fight for. Yeah. I was going to say, I, th I think it's really important to clear up that distinction because that's something yeah. I've seen a lot of people yeah. confusing the two things. Exactly. The other thing that I hear quite often are people saying, well, of course, black lives matter, but why do we need to make such an issue? This, this is people making something out of um, the, this is, this is people um, pushing an agenda that doesn't need to be pushed because we all know that black lives matter and it's not an issue that we really have in this country. So right. that's something I wanted to put to you directly because which, I wanted which, your views right, on which, that. Which, which is an interesting notion, right? Yeah. And I, I, I bet you'll find that most of the people saying that are non-black. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. So Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, so so they have, this is why I wanted your view on this. Yeah, um, so, so, so they have no idea what the black experience is. There is something yeah. that we as black people mm -hmm. literally term the black experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's something that we have every single day that we are we, we 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 can't hide the fact we're black unless we're wearing um you know an, an entire suit from head to toe that covers every part of our body we can't hide the fact that we're black so the black experience will follow you literally from you are in school as as it but you know nursery preschool as a toddler all the way till you're a pensioner it's whether you walk into a shop it's whether you walk into your workplace it's whether you walk just into a room full of people that are non-black you feel it, you see it, and it's you as a black person um, have to try to conform to, as to not to fall into the stereotypes that these people already have of you. They already, they already have a preconceived notion of what you must be like, and then you're you're struggling and battling and combating yourself to try and okay, I, I don't I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want anybody to think that I'm I'm being I'm being black, and it's literally being black, right? So. When somebody says that we don't have um, an issue um, of racism or discrimination in the country, um, that is literally a statistical fallacy. There are the research papers, there are statistics that show the entire opposite. In fact, I'm going I'm to go to a couple of different things here, actually, because I, I was looking at this. And uh, let's look at, for instance, just the, the COVID. We're, we're in a time of we're going for yeah. a national pandemic. And we were going through, um, you know, COVID-19. And I was looking at the Office of National Statistics. And that alone said that um, corona deaths um, across the UK, uh, black people were statistically highest to get it. Right. So I'm going to read a yep. quote from here. Yep. Uh, ONS analysis continue to show that people from black and ethnic backgrounds are at a greater risk of death involving COVID-19 than all other ethnic groups. Adjusting for social economic factors and geographical lo location partly explains the increased risk. Mm -hmm. Now, when you're reading between the lines there, it's telling you that, hey, 
black poor people, <laughs> black people who are living amongst each other, hey, you, you're going to die. You're probably going to die at a greater rate than other people. Yeah. Why do those yeah. Why do those things happen? Why are we at a socioeconomic disadvantage? Why are we at a geographical disadvantage? And these things are systemic from a long time ago, from before the Windrush generation that have come in. Now, a person who doesn't live within those environments doesn't necessarily see it or witness it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like when I go back to the analogy of um, a woman telling me about her experience. I, I do not live a woman's experience. So um, I could say, oh, there's no problem with um, you know, women. Women have got it all right nowadays. And you'll be like, uh, actually, Mike, um, sorry to shit on your parade here, but um, there are a few things that aren't quite right. And then you can tell me and educate me. And I'll be like, oh, okay, I didn't know that. Why didn't I know that? I'm not a woman and I don't live that. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's, that's a really valid point. And what you're talking about with the increased numbers of uh, coronavirus deaths amongst black yeah. people. I mean, we're talking about, I think it's four times the risk of a white person. So yeah, we're, not, exactly. we're not talking about a small difference here. <laughs> yeah. We're talking about Massive. something really substantial. And if you adjust for everything you can adjust for, so uh, yeah. things like socioeconomic status, yeah. you know, um, where you live, living conditions, what job you do, all of those things, that comes down to about twice the risk. Right. So there's still an increased yeah. risk, but exactly. about half of that increased risk is... Um, is explained just by and, those social factors. Right. And, and those social factors are also um, conflated by uh, systemic discrimination. Yeah. Right. So yeah. There, is a, there is a system in place that many people will be oblivious to because they don't experience it. Yeah. So yeah. if we look at, so we'll go back to social economics for a minute, for instance. Um, and a lot of us as, as black people, we, we try to, we work so hard um, in school try to go to university um, and then we'll try and get you know a really good job we try to get a really good job in order to um, improve our social economic standing right and there was a study let's have a quick look at this here Martin Wood published a paper in 2010 uh, testing for racial discrimination in recruitment practices they found that people from ethnic minority backgrounds were less likely to be successful and in order to secure job applications 74% more applications from black and ethnic minority backgrounds had to be sent out. Right. And that was from what they did was, their methodology was, um, they sent out around a thousand applications, um, pretty much all the same um, to each employer. Um, so they sent three, three applications to each employer. Two would have an ethnic name on there and one would have right. a white. Okay, so these were the, the, the exact same Exactly. So it can't be explained by any differences in qualifications nothing or differences else. in anything else. Absolutely was, nothing else. So everything Purely. else is identical, um, except yeah. for the name. Except for the name. So that just goes to show that we, we as a society, have have a problem. Yeah. With, in regard to black and ethnic minorities. And do you think that's because the employers are? consciously racist do you think they're looking at those and saying i don't want to employ a black person right is now this is on? where i find this uh, this is an interesting i was gonna i'm glad you touched on this because i often daily feel so conflicted mm. i feel genuinely conflicted because 
my so the, the closest people to me in the world are white people and that they have never ever shown to me that they have any kind of uh, discriminatory body in their bone i've never seen my my, my best mate who's he's in my house, my mother's house more than i am he's a, he's a white guy so when i see the people that are close to me and the people that i know that i'm around every day and i see how how they are and i think well they're really nice people and then i see other things going on and people may say things and even the people that i do know will say things or do things and i think hang on a bit it's a, bit, it's a little bit discriminatory it's a little bit racist it, it leads me to believe personally that I don't think that most people that are doing racist things have racist opinions are, are, are even saying racist comments are necessarily trying to be racist. I think that a lot of the time it's, just, it's subconscious. They're not even aware of um, how they feel or what they say. Again, I'm going to go back to um, using women as an analogy. It's like me driving down the road and I've got bloody woman drivers. You know, and it's, I don't think I'm being sexist. Mm. I don't think mm. I have a problem with women, but I actually do. And I don't, I haven't realized it. It's when someone says, hang on a second, why did you, what's the issue here with women? Until I sit there and I think, oh, actually, I may have, I may have a subconscious issue here where I'm discriminating against women while they're driving. And I, I believe that a lot of the time that's what happens. And that's why discrimination is so prevalent within our society at the moment. I think that you have a very small group um, of very vocal group that are actually trying to be racist. Yeah. It's like you've got a house party, you know, you got a party in your house and there's the three dudes in the corner of the room who claim to be 61 and all at street fights and they're loud and they're shouting amongst everybody. You know, you got those guys in the room and those are the, those are the openly vocal, overtly yeah. racist people in our society, They're a small minority, like a, a smidgen of people. But the rest, I believe, when it's happening, it's, it's a subconscious thing. And it's not their fault. It, these are things that are just societal norms. So it's within them and then they exercise it. And it's only when they're corrected, they realize what, what they're actually doing is wrong. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that, that that's um, really important is that there's a difference between or the way somebody explained it to me is there's a difference between saying to somebody, you're a racist. Yeah. And that thing you just said, that's a bit yes. racist. Yes, exactly. So exactly. it's not necessarily that that person uh, consciously holds racist views. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But we that, all have that's... those stereotypes about yeah, the group. Um, and yeah. I think unless we're actively going out of our way to challenge those stereotypes and those ideas there's a danger that we'll slip into that just because it's so prevalent in our society Precisely. and we, we all have and that can, tribal yeah. thinking exactly we are very tribal very mm. whether we try to be or not and if you can imagine if you're around people that are just like you and that only think the way you do if you have some of those subconscious prejudice views or discriminatory ideas you're never going to know Everyone's yeah. just going to be bouncing yeah. off each other and think, oh, it's all right. I'm not racist. Yeah. You know? yeah. And then they might say something like, but, you know, the guy across the road's black. He's all right. And you're like, yeah. okay, but he yeah. is all right. But yeah. that doesn't yeah. mean you're, you don't have racist ideas. And, yes. you know, not yeah. necessarily to say you are, a, you are racist and practice racism, but 
you, there are things that you think that are racist and yeah. we may yeah. need to, we need to address those. You know? I mean, there's times when, uh, I mean, you mentioned uh, sexism earlier. Yeah. I mean, there's times when I'll have stereotyped views about women, despite being a yeah. woman. Um, and despite yeah. being a not very stereotypical <laughs> woman, but sometimes yeah. I'll catch myself thinking <laughs> something and yeah. then I'll go, that's awful. Why did I just think that? And, yeah. But it's, it's having that awareness to kind of realise that I'm, I'm buying into that stereotype. And yeah. okay, now I've spotted that, I can change it. But I yeah. think until you spot it, I think one of the difficult things with the way that the dialogue is at the moment, it's, it's all so polarised around racism. You've yeah. got lots of people who are very keen to, to point out how not racist they are. And yeah. because of that, I think sometimes people aren't that willing to look at what they're saying, what they're thinking, and whether yeah. there might be some unconscious bias there that yeah. actually is leaking out. And, and, mm-hmm. um, and is that something that, that you think that you experience? Yes, definitely. Yeah. So I can, think of, people, I can um, think of a few people off the top yeah. of my head right now yeah. as, we're, as we're speaking, you know. And, um, and these guys I know, I know them really well. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're, really, they're really good guys. And I'll see a post and I'll, I'll go onto the post and be like, uh, look, this, is, this may not be, re- you may be reading this back and reading it a particular way. But um, when I read it as a black person, it sounds a bit like this. And to be fair with you, most of the people say, oh, okay, sorry, I didn't realize that. And they may even send me a private message and we have a little bit of a chat and, and they learn. Speaking of which, I actually had two people from my gym call me. Um, one of them was quite, li- really quite liberal. And uh, he called me and he was like, look, you know, I see what's going on around the world right now. Um, I'm, I knew that things weren't right, but it just seems a lot more prevalent now. And he had like a burning desire to want to do something that right, that was right to, to want to say something. He, and he was kind of, he called me, he was like, man, I know you'd like, you're really approachable. You're one of the most vocal at the gym when you speak about these things. I just want to know, what do you think? So we had a really good conversation. I mean, we were talking for about an hour about, um, the, the, what's going on in the world? How we, how he sees it, how I see it, what he maybe can do, um, you know, because he really wanted, he felt like he needed to do something. That was a really good conversation. And then I had another person from the gym who I really get on with, who is as right winged as you can you can get without being a neo Nazi, right? <laughs> <laughs> and he was just like, look, I see, and we really get on as well. He was like, look, this is what I see, this is what I'm thinking, but I see that you're saying this and I, and I know you Mike to be a really nice approachable guy and we really get on so I'm just trying to get into your headspace and it was a really good conversation and it was the kind of conversation you can't typically have if you're a liberal minded thinking person with someone who thinks such a right wing way because you normally just start arguing you, you, you very rarely as just a normal person do you, do you speak to somebody with kind of opposite views to you and you kind of just have a little discussion back and forth and learn. And I learned a lot from him. I learned why he thinks the way he does, how and person, because a lot of the time I'm thinking, how can someone think like this? But I think the important part was he called me as a person who, he was like, look, I'm as white as you can get. I'm a, I'm a you know, I'm from a working class background in Dudley there's no white people sorry no black people around here 
I see what you're saying. And for me, I just don't understand because I never see this. So I just assume it's rubbish. So when we had our conversation, he came away like, oh, okay. He actually was willing to learn though. It was that, it's that key moment of, oh, now it's time for me to shut up and listen. Maybe I can learn a few things. I, I may not agree with everything, but I'm learning. I'm still learning. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I, think, I think if more people did that, um, we would be able to understand these issues a lot better and actually be able to some, come to some form of solution, some form of compromise. We're able to do something because at the moment, um, I'm having arguments with people. You know, the football just came back on the other day and they wrote Black Lives Matter on the shirts and people are talking about cancelling their Sky subscriptions and acting like they want to bloody, you know, <laughs> commit murder-suicide in their house. I'm saying, what, what I don't understand? The, the, just the idea of mm. the, the, the FA saying, hey, you know what, let's also put some um, spotlight on this issue that's going on right now. Let's just say Black Lives Matter on our shirts. That's not, again, not, they're not part of the organisation. They're just literally putting these statements of facts on a shirt and it drove people crazy and I had to say to people look do you realize that when you say that you have a problem with a an, an organization as large as the FA saying Black Lives Matter and we support the statement that Black Lives Matter when you say you have a problem with that do you realize that you in essence are saying that you, you kind of sounds like you're saying you don't think Black Lives Matter do you, do you realize that and um you get differing, different responses. Some people are like, oh, actually, you know, that's not how I mean it's come across. And you get some people who are just wrong and strong. They just stand firm in their ignorance, you know. And I think it's an issue because it doesn't affect some people. Yeah. They don't care. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and and they, they, they just feel like they don't have to. And, and, and I guess technically they don't have to if it doesn't affect them. But come on, be trying to be a decent human being. Yeah, you know? no, I, th I think the idea that it's that that racism isn't really a problem because you don't see it, I think, yeah. is it, it, unfortunately that's a really prevalent one. And yeah. again, I think people sometimes perceive that it's oh, this is all being blown out of proportion because it's not a problem that that they're yeah. aware of. And I, and I think that because they don't hear someone getting yeah. called you know, racist slurs, knowing shouts yes. the N-word yeah. across the, the road to the first black person they see coming out of the shop. They just yeah. go, oh, well, it's not racist anymore. We don't do those kind of things anymore. Yeah. And we, we as a society in the UK, we are getting better yeah. in some respects. I think people are learning more. I think the age of the internet is allowing people to, some people to be exposed to what they're doing and some people to learn um, where they otherwise wouldn't have been able to learn. Um, but our, our racism is a lot more subtle. It's a lot yeah. more uh, yeah. covert. It's kind of under under the bed sheets. It's not on top of the bed. It's yes. kind of under the sheets. Yeah. You kind yeah. of it's there. You know it's there. You just can't see it. But, so, I mean, can you give me some examples of what racism in twenty twenty looks like? Um, right. So, I mean, so we can go. For, I mean, in twenty twenty, I mean, we still have people throwing bananas onto a football pitch and making monkey noises. So let's, let's get that straight. So even though we yeah. say, you know, it's yeah. a lot more um, covert, it's under the, under the sheets, you yeah. know, we still, still have people happen. literally, yeah. we still literally have people doing those kind of things, right? Um, I mean, at the protest the other day, um, 
you know, when the guys were making their, their kind of Nazi salutes and making monkey noises at the black protesters, you can see that that actually still happens. Again, like I said before, I think that's not the large percentage of the people of our society, but they're the most vocal when it comes to the racism. I think um, when it comes to racism in the UK, you see things like the media, how they portray um, certain people. You may see them um, title a headline in a particular way when it's a, a, a white person. And if something pretty similar happens, it's a black person. You, the entire wording is different. And yeah. you can't help but... And, and these things have, a, again, a, have a conscious impact on us because then we start regarding the people in society that look like that in that way. You know, um, it's little things like in the workplace, people are treating you differently, not talking to you, excluding you from things. And you, I mean, it happened to me. It happened to me. Um, and I didn't know, I didn't realize I was experiencing racism because no one had called me a, you know, a black this or a black that, or no one had been like, oh, you little N word. No one had said that to me. So I was thinking to myself, why am I being excluded from everything? Why am I being treated differently? And in fact, it was an Asian guy. Um, who was in the office, who witnessed something. Because I said to him, have you noticed that this, you know, these things are happening to me? I listened to a few things. He was like, oh. He said, I haven't, but I'll, I'll keep a lookout. And he saw a few things and he came over to me and he said, mate, what you're experiencing is racism. I was like, what? Yeah. He said, yeah, you, you're going through office, office, you know, office-based work, um, racism. I was like, hang on. Because in my head, I'm thinking, well, no one's come up to me and said, hey, this and hey, that. And it dawned on me, oh, this is what's going on. I'm being discriminated against and I'm experiencing a whole set of <laughs> grievances because of just work-based racism, because I was the only black person in the entire office. Right. And that's really difficult to deal with as well, isn't it? Because yeah. you can't then turn around and say you're being racist because. Right. Everyone... <laughs> yeah. Because everyone's going to tell me I'm the one with the problem. That's yes, it. It, it, yeah. It's very hard to pin down and say, you know, because right. people say, oh, oh, it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, not talking to you because of the colour of your skin. Yeah, exactly. And right. who's to say that they're... <laughs> Something else. It's, it's yeah. very hard to, to sort of... Um, right. To really attack that head on, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and it's, it's almost... It's, we, in the UK, we almost have a passive-aggressive way of being racist. Mm. It's really crazy. Um, just little other things like if I if I go into a shop um, and you know if me so my, my friend like I was telling you before he's white I'm black if we were both going to the shop I guarantee you I'm the one being followed around the shop you know all of a sudden the security guards kind of round round the corner like the Pink Panther kind of looking around at you and you see these little things and because we go through this every day. It's just, we just normalize it. Like, well, this is just what happens. We don't make an issue. What, what you'll find as a black person is maybe the, the, the white person you're with makes the issue out of it because he's noticed it or she's noticed it. And she may turn and say, hey, no, that's wrong. Why, why is that going on? And you as a black person, you're telling that person to chill out. You're like, oh, don't worry about it. But they, they, because they're watching it and seeing it, they can't believe what they're witnessing. Mm. And you're like, this is, this is every day. You know, um, my... My, my, a friend of mine was telling me, um, we were sitting down, this is last week actually, and he was saying, you know, I've been seeing all this stuff going on and I've really been trying to think of the time where, a time where we've been together and the fact that I was white was an advantage for me or, you know, my privilege came into play. 
So this had never occurred to me because I'd never thought about this when we were together. Um, and he said, you know, I remember a time when um, we were stopped, we were pulled over by the police. I can't remember exactly what it was, there was something wrong with the car. And he said, when, he, when we got pulled over, he said, the police asked us all to get out of the car. And there were two of us as black people in the car and, and him. And he said, the police pulled, pulled us to one side as black people, pulled him to one side as a white person. And they said to him, what are you doing with these guys? You look like a nice guy. You know, you shouldn't be with them. And he said that, he was thinking, what? And he knew the only reason they said that was because we were black. Wow. Right? So, and I was like, when he told me, I was like, oh, yeah. And he's like, no, but I had a problem with that. But for us, it was just normal. You know, we, we know that they're probably going to say something like that. You know, so, again, if, if, you, if you are going through these experiences, you're not aware that they're necessarily happening, or unless you're a witness to it, you're standing there to watch it happen. And you, then you can be like, oh, okay, this does actually happen. You know, um, but... Yeah, these, these are things that, I mean, I can go on forever about little yeah. experiences yeah. that happen um, to you. And, and I, I, would, I would say that I've been lucky enough because of my stature, because I'm 6'1", 6'2", 220 pounds, that I haven't necessarily experienced some of the racism that some of the other people I know have because they may have seemed like easier targets or people that have been easier to just you know and they, they may not come across as well spoken as me or you know those kind of things so people it's easier to be able to dupe them or be, be racist and a person can't articulate themselves properly in order to tell the person well hey that's not right you, you know you're being racist or discriminatory um so they're at a disadvantage in, in that respect but yeah this is just it's just everyday life you know and I mean, you mentioned there with sort of how you're treated by the police. Uh, do you yeah. feel like when, when you're dealing with people in positions of power or authority, do you feel like you get treated differently? Is that something that... Uh... I'm trying to be honest here. Yes, yes. And um, I felt that from when I was even in school. And the other, I was thinking about it the other day, and I was, I was mm. thinking to myself, hey, Mike, when you, when you were in school and you felt like you would notice the difference from being treated, because it was at that time, you know, in the, in the early 90s and stuff, up to mid-90s, you know, I, I went to Dame Elizabeth Cadbury. Um, that's in Bourneville. And I was like one of like eight people in the, eight black people in the whole school, you know? And... Um, we were treated differently. And, you know, obviously the teachers at that time, they're, they're in such an authoritative position because you probably see them more than your own parents. Your know, parents may be at work and stuff like that. So, um, and then, you know, if you got in trouble, if the police did become involved, that they may be a bit rougher with you. Um, they, may be, they may speak to you a lot differently than they speak to other people. Um, let's go into another statistic, actually, if you say that was looking this up. Um, so I was, looking up, I was looking at the David, the, uh, David Lammy report, the Lammy review um, by the right yeah, honorable David Lammy. Good. Yeah. And I, was, uh, I had a look at that and I mean, where do we, where do we start? <laughs> <laughs> you know, he, um, 
obviously, you know, from, from the independent report, they could just they could clearly see that the treatment of uh, black and ethnic minority individuals um, was just disproportionately negative mm. for, for that group of people. And uh, just to read um, something that I've got as a quote here, um, analysis conducted for the Lemon Review found a clear direct association between ethnic groups and the odds of receiving a custodial sentence. Black men were 26% more likely than their white, white counterparts to just be remanded in custody. So straight away, you've just got this idea when you're, when you're faced with people in authority that you are more of a risk, you are more of a threat, you deserve a bigger punishment. You know, and, and like I was saying, that was from school all the way into adulthood, where, whether you were stopped by your teacher or stopped by the traffic police or whoever it was, you know, so um, it does happen. Luckily, again, I'm articulate enough, I'm smart enough to be able to conduct myself in a way that I find myself getting out of trouble, even though I can see a situation maybe the the, the, the person in charge is trying to make this become a situation that spirals out of control um and a lot of the time i can um kind of talk my way out of it but i have been in situations before where um it hasn't gone that way i remember i remember walking um in hansworth so hansworth is kind of um, what they call a ghetto to um quite low socioeconomic standing the whole entire area people are quite poor um you know the, the education isn't great those kind of things and i remember i was walking down the road to go to an uncle's house and uh <clears throat> while i was walking down the road i saw a police van pull up and it kind of just skidded up and the policeman literally just jumped out of the van there's probably about six of them and they ran straight over to two black kids that were walking down the road who looked like they'd just come from the shop and they didn't announce themselves didn't do anything and when the two kids turned around all they could see was six grown men running at them so they naturally began to run themselves and the house that they lived in wasn't too far from where they were running from. So they ran to, to the door and were trying to get into the house. The policeman dragged them from the front garden and started beating them up. Wow. Yeah. And I was watching this whole thing. And one of the kids, which, which I probably, this is how bad it is with your experience with the police as a black person. <laughs> I probably wouldn't have involved myself, even though the kids were being beat up except for one thing. One of the guys had a large scar on his head um, and looked like he had some kind of brain surgery. Mm. That's why I, I assumed when I looked at the scar. And the policeman was taking him by the head and was whacking it on a tree. Really? And I came really? over, yeah, and I felt, I felt obligated to go over there and say, hey, you can't do that, you have to stop. And I didn't touch any of the policemen. I was probably about five meters away from them. And I was saying, what are you doing? You, know, you have to stop, you have to stop. And I, I started trying to take their badge numbers and stuff like that. And as I said, I'm going to take your badge numbers and make a complaint. They grabbed me, roughed me up, and arrested me as well. And uh, eventually it went to court. And when it went to court and all the evidence came out, the two young kids who were apparently were arrested on suspicion of robbery were acquitted of everything. Um, not only did they not commit the robbery, but the manner in which the arrests were conducted were deemed um, not, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? It wasn't done in the correct manner. So everything was wrong about the arrest, so they got released. And I still got found guilty of obstructing a police arrest. Wow. 
<laughs> so I I actually have on my record, if you if you were to check my enhanced disclosure, um, obstructing arrest, and I think it was probably like 2004. I was, I was quite young then. Um, something like that. Maybe maybe a bit later, but um, obstructing an arrest that was illegal anyway, because they were beating the two kids up for no reason. You know, <laughs> so um, when you see when you get, go for experiences like that. And you yeah. see yeah. what's happening around the world because of police brutality. Yeah. You kind of go, yeah, I know why that's happening. I get it why people are up in arms, you know? And, yeah, I mean, uh, that sort of thing. It's, it's really quite shocking for, for people like me to hear that. Um, yeah. It's not something that I've ever been involved in and obviously not yeah. witnessed firsthand. So it's easy for me to think, oh, that sort of thing doesn't happen. Here. Yeah. I mean, the number of stories I hear like that from uh, from people you know makes me think that actually there's something um that there's much more to this than a, than a lot yes. of us realize and uh, and i think and i think that you know just in general poor areas are policed a lot differently than more affluent areas i mean that that um, kind of runs into something that i i keep saying actually is that you know racial inequality and um economic inequality are two sides of the same coin a lot of the time exactly. they, they, they go together you can't you can't really separate yes. it out. 100%. And I, I've, I've, I've said to people before that I believe that the, the bigger issue is uh, classism and mm. um, racism is a subsidiary to classism. Mm. You know, it's just a, pretty much the same what you're saying. Um, uh, and when you've got poor people and those poor people just tend to be people of colour um, being policed <laughs> Um, or being educated by people that look down on them, really, um, you're going to run into some issues. You know, it's a it's a it's a, it's a, it's a compromising situation. You know, for for a lot of the people in it. Um, I think this idea that um, oh well, it's not racism because it happens to white people too. I think that's particularly insidious, actually, because people can say, oh, well, it happens to poor white kids as well. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> so it can't be racist. Yeah, yeah uh, <laughs> but it doesn't happen to everyone equally. You know, yeah. I think there are, there are distinct groups of people. Yeah. And now you can understand that because you understand the numbers, mm. the math. Mm. And I don't know if that's because you're a mathematician or whether because... You're just not trying to be intentionally stupid because a lot of the people, when you're talking to them about these things, I've spoken to people who have told me something and I'm, and I'm literally saying to them, okay, but the peer reviewed research tells us something entirely different. And the guys will just be like, bullshit. All right. Okay. All right. Oh, all right, Barry. Cheers. Thank you. Now that you've said it's bullshit, then, uh, Clearly, all the studies that have been done and all the experiences, you know, we can knock those on the head because clearly they must be rubbish. Everyone must be lying, you know? And I think this is the particularly difficult thing when you're dealing with the kind of racism that doesn't, it, it's not overt racism. It's not, you yeah. know, people aren't throwing bananas onto the pitch and making monkey noises. It's much yeah. more subtle than that. Yeah. And it's almost that uh, one of the things racists have learned to do is to be much more um creative about how they go about it and the language they use 
and yeah. because of that it becomes very hard to to pin it down and say actually that's racism because as you say on any one particular occasion you know if you have one particular interaction with the police or you know one particular occasion where you're turned down for a job you can't say that's racism because you don't know but when you look at the the big picture and you look at what's going on in aggregate and you look at the statistics you say well there is discrimination here but it's much harder yeah exactly um and you know a, a lot of people's um like you were saying, a lot of people's experiences get um, get put down to just being anecdotal. Yeah. But like what you said, when you when you look at the, the wider statistics, you can see that there's clearly a trend and there's yeah. clearly a correlation between their, their ethnicity mm-hmm. and the wrong that they're being that they feel that they're experiencing. Yeah. And no. as you said, you know, when when you and a friend of yours are, are in a supermarket together and you're the one being followed around, you know, you can't say on any one given day that's racism yeah but when it keeps happening and that's persistently your experience yeah. and the fact that you have a d- different set of experiences from somebody of a different skin color um yeah. i think that's where and, it- and, and, the thing, and yeah and the thing is like i said before that person following me around probably doesn't even think in his head yeah consciously yeah. i'm going to follow the black geezer around yeah it's just something that's built into him. And because he, he has this idea that, oh, that's what a bad person looks like. That's what a criminal looks like. That's what a person who deserves to be in prison looks like. He, he just follows me, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and that comes on to the, the other thing. I mean, you know, we, we, I feel like we had around the world, we've seen this, um, this movement that's going, um, going on, which I, I commend and I support fully. Um, people say you know it's not enough to just be not be racist you have to be anti-racist which i agree with um and you know we had obviously what happened over in america that the very sad case of um george floyd being killed and it kind of brought awareness to a situation that we as people of color already knew was happening and many other people did know was happening but i think that what happened this time around is because of covid and a lot of people had to be in their house um, you know, not doing anything, just sitting down on their sofa. They were forced to witness something that they were never normally forced to witness. You know, normally people go about their everyday lives, they're going to work, they're in a gym, they're doing whatever they're doing. So they're aware that these things are going on, but they never had to sit down and, uh, and absorb it themselves. And what you had was the people who were usually on the fence, the people who kind of, yeah, no, that's wrong, but it's not really affecting me. You know, those kind of those kind of people were sat down and watched a man die, you know, and at that point to them they realize, well, no, this is wrong. I have to be vocal about this. And I think what you're witnessing at the moment, the reason why it's building so much traction, that the movement of um, you know, um against say police brutality, against racism, um, saying that Black Lives Matter is because the, the, the non-black people are becoming more vocal about it. So it doesn't seem like we're just moaning and complaining because that's often how it's perceived. Mm. Oh, you've got it all right now. You know, you can, live in, you, can, you can live in the houses with us. You can go to the same schools as us. You, you know, you, you're policemen too. You know, you've got good jobs as well. Yeah. So what you that horrible about? phrase where people say, oh, you're just playing the race card. Um, yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And um, 
because the people that, that aren't black people are now being vocal, you've got people that make decisions, the people that are in charge of things, listening now, think, oh, okay, maybe there is a problem because maybe somebody that looks like them is talking to them, mm. you know? So they're, they're now listening. It's become more, pa- you know, more palatable that, okay, maybe I should do something here. And, um, but then conversely, um, using the George Floyd, for instance, as an example, because it's the most um, talked about um, ish topic at the moment in regard to police brutality and what people are saying is anti-black racism. Mm. Um, when you have a man crying for his, his mother, knowing he's going to die, he wets himself and he, he's begging, please, I don't want to die. Uh, and then that man subsequently dies. When you then have people say, well, what did he do? Mm. Or well, what's the story behind this though? Or someone looking into his past to see if he, he committed a crime 10 years ago that maybe warranted his treatment on that day. Mm. You have to wonder what kind of a human being can be thinking these things or saying these things. I, I got a few inboxes from people, some, mess, some private messages from people who just wanted to talk to me about conversations they had had with people who they don't even see a human being when something like this happens. Their first question is, well, what did he do? And, you know, maybe he did something to deserve this. And, I'm, I, and it's unbelievable that somebody can look at a human being, something so terrible happened to them, and the first thought they think of is, well, maybe, did he deserve it, though? Because yeah. if, that, if that had been a dog <laughs> treated like that, people would have been... Nobody would have asked what the dog did. Mm. Nobody would have said, but did the dog bite someone first? Mm. No one would have asked that. And um, you tend to find that, again, it's the same kind of people um, kind of introducing this kind of rhetoric or that kind of argument into um, into the narrative, mm-hmm. um, and it's quite disturbing because it, yeah. sometimes it, it makes me become disheartened because I'm like, I just think to myself, so you don't see us as human beings as well. What what what's what's wrong with you? And and that that was the straw that broke the camel's back in terms of what I consider a, a global revolution right now. I, I mean, I sincerely believe that stone by stone. We're seeing the uh, the changing of the infrastructure around the world. We may not see it in our lifetime, but maybe our children will or their children's children will see some significant changes where we do get to really see um, equality, where we do get to see that everyone is valued as human beings, not some people more than others, you know? And I think um, because it's just, what brings me to, to, I mean, what I wanted to ask you is, what do you think this movement is, Firstly, trying to achieve, because a lot of people have asked yeah. that, what are they trying to achieve here? What do they want? And the second yeah. thing is, what do you think it has achieved and it is achieving? Um, what's, what good things have come out of it? Yeah. Okay. So first of all, um, I just want to say, in my opinion, when it comes to revolution, different people play different roles. So you'll have some people what they want to do is create policy change legislation change Uh, some people want to 
change education, educate people differently, um, put things into syllabuses so people can learn or unlearn. You'll have some people who just want to create awareness. They go onto social media, they go and protest, they march, they just want the world to know. And then you have other people who just want to burn the whole thing to the ground, right? They're just like, that's it, I've had enough. I just want to smash everything up. And not that I can, not that I, I, I condone um, destruction or violence, but I do think that each part of that revolution machine plays an important part for people to pay attention, notice, and say, okay, we, we, I think we better make change. Because if this was 600 years ago, people would have been coming out with their pitchforks and their torches and dragging the, the, the people that make the changes out of their house, and stringing them up. You know, we act as though the, any revolution that's ever happened in the history of mankind hasn't been a violent and bloody one. It has. And uh, someone told me recently there has actually been one revolution that was bloodless. There was no discussion. They called it the Velvet Revolution. Um, apparently it happened in the Czech Republic. I'm going to have to research that to see if that's true. <laughs> but to my knowledge, every revolution in history, when they wanted change, people just went, that's it, we're enough. And people just got together, pitchforks, torches, took people out there, you know, wherever it was in the world, whether they put people to the guillotine, whether they strung up at stakes, whatever it was, people went out and made the change happen. Obviously, we've become more of a civilized society now, so there are certain things you can't do. I mean, we can't drag Boris Johnson out of his, his house and, you know, fix his hair for him. We can't do any of that. <laughs> <laughs> but, what we can do is we can say, look, these things need to change. We, we have these agendas. These are the things we want, want to, to change. How do we go about changing those things? And uh, when you ask, what does the movement want? The movement, want, when, if they were to give their answer, probably, people probably generally say, just equality. We just want things to be right. And um, that's just a natural instinctive feeling that they have. That is just... That's a desire. I just want that. But when you ask about that getting put into practicality, it's okay, but what do you want? Do you want um, a greater spreading of the wealth? Do you want better education for black people? Do you want, you know, there's a few different things that you want. And if you are trying to go into a political forum with those kind of things, you have to have some kind of strength. You need to have leverage. And that leverage is your votes, your vote, your currency in the political arena is your voting power and as black people in general we we don't vote we just don't we have this kind of negative uh, voting has a negative connotation for us as a community of black people and we just seem to think that well they don't care about us they're not going to do anything for us anyway so why am i doing all of this and while you're thinking that all these things are happening in the background that do not benefit you and sometimes affect you negatively and then as a community we complain but we didn't do anything about it i think it's right. really difficult isn't it because if you don't have trust in the system then why would you yes. want to participate in that system and i think the problem is that that then becomes um because if people aren't participating in the system then politicians don't have the incentive to to make sure that those groups are, are properly represented and are properly listened to because oh they don't vote anyway so you end up with that vicious circle i think and this becomes really difficult because exactly precisely and, and i often think 
just thinking practically and logically. So if I take my emotions out of it and take the fact that I am black out of the equation, I just think to myself, well, why would anyone care about, in a political arena, why would anyone care about a set of people that are not going to help them politically anyway in terms of votes or keeping a seat or gaining a seat or they, they that's yeah. that's not where their head is at. their head is at how do i keep this seat how do i get that seat so then they appease the people that are going to do make the votes mm -hmm. yeah no yeah. and that, that is exactly what happens that is exactly what happens yes. um exactly so. and um if we want to if we want to see the changes that we that we are asking for i think that we need to become um, more politically literate I think that if we want to be taken seriously, I think that um, we need to, as well, become more financially and economically literate because, again, um, economics, and this is another argument I've had with a few people because I, I don't, but, it, okay, so going on to we the, the, the controversial statement that Anthony Joshua made about, um, I, didn't, I didn't hear the entire speech, I've just, I'm, so I'll be paraphrasing, Apparently, he said he was encouraging black people to shop in black businesses. Now, I've had a lot of people discussing that and saying, well, they, they felt that it was wrong. And I, I heard what they were saying, and I understood some of the points they were making. But what I was trying to, had to, trying to explain to them was, I don't think he meant it in a negative way, and I don't think him saying, unless he did say, don't shop in Asian or white stores, Let's, let's, I'm going to assume he didn't say that. If he didn't say that, then him saying to black people, hey, look, support black businesses, isn't anti any other mm -hmm. race. Because what he's saying to, to those people is, look, and why I have to explain to them is, you know, a lot of black businesses, they don't have the financial support. They don't have the, the structure. They, they just don't have the things. They, they're at a disadvantage. If we're just at a disadvantage in general in society, let alone in business. So if we don't have the custom of people within our communities, those businesses are going to go out of, out of business. Mm. Then we cannot improve the ec economic situation of ourselves as a community. So intra-economic mm. uh, business, intra-economics is important. Intra-racial, sorry, intra-racial economics is important because what you'll find is within communities, if you went to an Asian community, the Asian community are going to be shopping with Asian businesses that are in the areas. If you were to go to a Jewish community, you'll find that they'll often be shopping within, within their own communities. And what you'll find is if you go to a black community, they do not do that. Mm. They'll be shopping elsewhere. And they may do it because they think that, oh, there's a 5p difference between that and the guy up the road. So they'll go there to get that 5p difference. Why? Again, the vicious cycle. Because they don't have the money anyway. So they want yeah. to make the savings, yeah. so they go yes. to the shop that's cheaper. But the reason that shop is cheaper is because they have more of a foothold and stronger relationships being from other communities that already are in business. So you have this vicious loop of not being able to improve your economic situation within yeah. your environment. So I was trying to right. explain... That makes a lot of sense. It is yeah, it is important that we do try to... So not, that's not to say don't go to the other shops, but try to go to them as much as you do the other shops because that's how they stay in business. That's how you improve the economic situation amongst the community. So intraracial economics is important whether we want to believe it or not, you know, and, um,
when I when I explained it to them, they kind of kind of understood. But again, because some people they've never had to think about this, like they've never had they're just walking to a shop. Like yeah. a lot of the time, if if I said, okay, what were the what were the you know the ethnicities of the last three shops that you went into? A lot of people would be like, um, um, I, I don't know. They don't have to think about it. They're just going to the shop, buy what they're buying, leave the shop. They don't care about who's serving them in the shop, who owns the shop. But when you when a, a black person is creating a business, they have to consider these things because the, the support systems, the infrastructure, all those things are not necessarily there for them as they are in other ethnic groups. You know? I think this is where that narrative so, yeah. of colour blindness uh, of saying, oh, I don't see colour, I just treat everyone equally. I think this is where that misses yeah. the point because if yes. those people aren't in equal places to start with, if some people yeah. are more systematically disadvantaged than others, then you treating them all the same yeah. isn't going to lead to equal treatment in the long it's term. Not, it's not going exactly. to, you're not going to improve anything uh, just by Precisely. treating everyone equally when they're not Precisely. in equal positions to start with. So I think yeah. um, sort of looking at a little bit at the deeper issues there and saying, well, what can we do to, to have a more even playing field? Yeah. Um, I think is important as well. Um, yeah, and that was the point I was making in regard to that. Um, and and these were and the, the, these this debate was with two people that I respect highly. I really do respect them um, on an intellectual level and on a martial arts level as well. They are they are two good mates of mine. And um, when we when we discussed it, we eventually kind of you know came to an understanding of where each of our viewpoints were, um, but. I, I think in the end they did kind of understand what I was saying, but again, like what you're saying, I was trying to explain that it's not an even playing field. Yeah, you are looking at it like I just treat everybody equally. Yes, but when you have uh, a group of people that are more disadvantaged than the others, that that playing field isn't equal. Even though you're looking, I think hey, everything's even. It's it's, it's actually not, mm. you know. So um, yeah, I mean, it's really good to hear that these conversations are, are taking place. And the people are coming to you and asking questions and, um, and and asking for your view on things. In general, what's your views as to how this issue is perceived in the in the martial arts community and you know mixed martial arts, Brazilian jiu jitsu? Um, what what have been your experiences there? Um, this is a good question. I think in general. People have been very quiet. I don't necessarily blame them for that. I understand that some people are worried about branding. They're worried about um, their image. They're worried about maybe the organizations that they're signed to. So they can't really speak in certain um, political um, issues that are going on. You know, they may have sponsors. They don't want to ruffle any feathers. So I kind of get it. I mean, I don't care. So... I do anyway, <laughs> because I'm of the view. I'm of, I'm of the view. If you if you don't agree with what I'm I'm saying, you don't necessarily have to agree with what I'm saying. But if you cannot respect my viewpoint and you cannot um, stand beside me, then you're not a brand I want to represent. You're not someone I want to be signed with. So if, if what you're saying is the antithesis of what I am saying, then uh, we can't. We, I don't feel that we can have a relationship. Um, you know, regards to business because it's not conducive to it, one that I want to, to be associated with, you know. Um, but I find that a lot of people are, are pretty quiet. Um, 
I, the, the, to be honest with you, amongst the, I can only think of two people that have said something openly negative about the entire thing. One is a, he, he, he was formally signed to the UFC. I think he's a retired fighter now. I won't name names. Um, and another one, um, he used to um, be the co-owner of a gym. So um, I won't say his name, but people may be able to figure out who that is. <laughs> um, but those are the only two people I, I saw say anything negative against the movement. But everybody else, um, they may be quiet. They may have messaged me or said something to me privately. I understand the position that a lot of people are in. So they, they, they feel that they don't want to ruffle any feathers. Again, like I said, I, I, I do not care. So I will openly, if I believe it's right, I'll say it's right. If I believe it's wrong, I'll say it's wrong. And I'm right with everything. So from your perspective, what would you like to see people in the mixed martial arts community, say gym owners, coaches, um, uh, promoters, what would you like to see them do if they want to support the movement? What would, what would be helpful from your point of view? That's a good question. Um, I don't know. I suppose maybe they could try to engage um, the people of colour, maybe, maybe try to ask them, is there anything, are there any experiences that they maybe have experienced where they felt that there was any kind of discrimination or um, prejudice against them? If, if there was any kind of situation that they can address that internally within themselves and always like their organization or as a gym, or whatever it is, um, maybe that would be helpful. I also understand that they maybe they don't want to step on any toes. They may be thinking it's a bit de it's a delicate situation. They don't want to seem like they're jumping on a bandwagon for the sake of jumping on a bandwagon. Because I know that a lot of people are thinking that as well. They're thinking, okay, I want to say something or support it, but I don't want to seem disingenuous. Yeah. So I can should I just be quiet? Way. Yeah. So I know that that happens a lot of the time. Um, but I think that if they're just having conversations with some of their um, maybe more senior members of whether it's the organizations, whether it's the gym, whether it's the backroom staff, um, and just, just have a conversation. Hey, look, you know, we, we know that this is going on around the world at the moment. Um, it, has anything affected you that we were un unaware of? Um, is it what do you think we can do to improve uh, relations uh, amongst all of us as different uh, ethnic groups and just as to come together as a family? Because what you, you know, we, we know what it's like in the martial arts world. Um, we're, we're all like a family. It's a very it's a very small community. We all know each other, and if we don't know that person, we know a person that knows that person. You know, um, so I, I think within our community, it's something that. We, we could make massive change in the community within in a, in a short space of time if there was an issue. I personally have never, within the martial arts circle, I can't think of a time where I've come across across it. I think maybe because as well, all of that's left at the door. Mm. You know, that's you come been your gym, experience. Yeah. yeah, that's been my experience. I, I can't, I mean, I'm just speaking for me. I don't know what anyone else has experienced. Yeah. Um, but I just feel like when we when we enter the gym, when we when we enter into a cage, when we into a ring, whatever it is, I, I feel as though a lot of the time all that is left at the door. Nobody really thinks of that while they're on the mat, you know, or while you're going to have a spar or when you're going for a fight. I don't think anyone's really thinking of that. Um, but what people are thinking outside of that, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. I'd, I'd hope I'd hope that. People have got to know people inside gyms, inside organizations well enough to realize that 
we're, all of us, we're a good bunch of guys, you know what I mean? Um, and how stupid something such as racism, discrimination and prejudice can be when we're all just so similar. We're also we're beautifully different, but we're all so very similar at the core. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, so I guess it's hearing- a purity... I guess it's the purity of uh, martial arts, really. So what I'm hearing from you is that you'd like people to do more listening and have more conversations about these issues. I think so. Engaging and talking to people about their experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Because only only when you do that, and when it's it's an active conversation, when you're listening and you're asking questions, and you may be giving your point of view, do you actually get anywhere? Do you... Only then there may be a change of opinion. Only then there may be um, something proactive that you begin doing. If that's what I found particularly, I've gone better at it with age, I must say. (laughs) But um, I find that that's the best way. And I've noticed that the people that may not have been, may not have agreed with me or agreed with the movement once they had a conversation with me, and listened and understood, they kind of got it. I had somebody phone me all the way from Holland to speak to me about it. Because they were really like, they just did not agree with it one bit. Mm. And um, they had their reasons. Um, But once we had a conversation, we were on the phone for about an hour. And once we had a conversation, they they, they understood and saw where I was coming from. I understood where they were coming from as well. But uh, I think the important part was that they now understood why there are people saying what they are saying and why they're doing what they're doing yeah and as i said i think once you start having those conversations it's much more likely that people will come to an understanding of other people's perspectives exactly that's the big thing that from my my point of view um i think one of the things that this movement has achieved is that a lot of people have started having those conversations yeah it's something that's being being talked about and all of those experiences and you know things that people might not necessarily have seen i mean i've talked to a few friends who've said you know this is the sort of thing that uh, they wanted to talk about but it was always that they felt they didn't want to be complaining or being seen to be you know just yeah. bringing up the race thing all the time um yeah. but i think now they've had an opportunity to to ha- to discuss that and you know to let people know yeah. what their experiences are um I think it's it can lead to better understanding uh, if if people respond to it in that way. Yeah, yeah, I agree entirely. Brilliant. I, was say, I mean, that's probably a good place to to wrap it up. Um, do you have any any final thoughts well, that, that you haven't? No, had this, to say it's yet? quite enjoy, it's, been, it's been quite enjoyable. I, I, I enjoyed yeah. every minute every minute of it. Um, I just think it's uh, first of all, I just want to thank you for for having me on here and being able to discuss this so openly. Um, like I say to people all the time, I'm an open book. I mean, you can ask me anything and I'm, um, I'm honest. I try to be as straight to the point as possible. And, um, these are things I'm passionate about, you know, these are things I'm passionate about. Um, and it's why I'm, and, and, and again, I'm not even protesting. I'm not much of a protester. You won't normally see me out on the street with a, you know, a, a, a Packard in my, in my hand. You also with a big piece of cardboard with anything written out on it. That's not typically my thing. Um, 
when we were in London on um, it was this was that the sixteenth, I believe. Mm. It was the sixteenth um, last week. I just felt obligated, felt a duty of care to be out there with the, particularly because you know there's going to be women, there'll be children out there, and there'll be you know younger, vulnerable people out there sometimes protesting. And when the the far right um, groups and the football firms decided they were going to turn up, um, I just felt it was my duty to, to. I personally believed that that was a time when the movement should have shown solidarity, strength, and courage, and they all should have been there. Unfortunately, some of the larger organisations decided to pull out. Um, and left a lot of people vulnerable because they now didn't have the numbers. And um, I have to say that a, a group of people pulled together um, and went down there to help with the protesting and um, to just keep the security and allow the people to march um, without fear of being attacked by the far right because they did try to attack them. Mm. You know? mm. and, I, and I found it very interesting that um, a video like Tommy Robinson, I, and, and I never speak about this, man. I never do. I, just, I always think it's too easy. You know, the guy puts his foot in his mouth so often, I always think it's too easy to yeah. talk about this guy. Yeah. When, I, when I see him put out a video, which is essentially a call to arms, mm -hmm. for every job who wanted to feel justified in, in, in coming out and saying he's against Black Lives Matter and whatever it is, when he puts out a call to arms and the police don't get involved in that, the police don't put a stop to that, when the police don't try to ensure that those groups cannot get together to create the disruption and the kind of violence that they did, I find that concerning because we all know why they're coming down there. No one's coming to protect the staff. I went into the um, London Central and I walked past 20 statues. There wasn't a single person near them. So not only do black people, I'll use black people in general, not care about the statues. Because yes, there are statues that represent certain things that we think, okay, what they represent isn't great, it's, it's wrong. But when we are not in rooms talking about statues. We are not saying, hey, how about a statue, man? I swear to God, man. We're not talking about it. We're talking about things that we, we go through. Yes. You know? And when I see people we're going to protect the statues and all the statues are unprotected when I, when I go down there and the yobs are trying to fight everybody. It, 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 for me, it's a cause for concern. I'm saying, well, what, what are the authorities doing here? They can see that there are groups that, that the, the press, by the way, have named anti-protesters, which I found very interesting. Mm. Um, you know, you've got yes, ex-policemen ex in those in the groups trying to attack the protesters. Mm. Yeah, that whole and, idea of the the anti anti racist Like I'm sure yeah. there's a way of saying that. <laughs> if yeah. only I could think exactly. what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, um, and it, just when we see how the the media's handled it, when we see how the the, the police have handled it, I just think it's an absolute shit show. And um, they, they could do, that's just an example of them conveniently not being able to do their job properly, mm. right? Um, 
yeah, I, it, it was, you needed to be there. <laughs> it's all I can say. If you were there and you, you see how these guys are behaving, it was remarkable, remarkable. Mm. Um, and, you know, you got guys that, when, when they realize that the, the protesters are trying to be peaceful and aren't there for a fight, they turned around and started fighting each other. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. But uh, yes. other than that, everything's great. I, I just, I'm just a bit disappointed in that the, the, the organizations and the groups that put together the march, had they put on the march, there'd have been 20,000, yeah. 30,000 people there. Yeah. Yeah. In a way, I can understand why they felt they didn't want to have that. Because I suppose, I suppose the, the worry was that if then things turn violent with the anti anti-racist yes. um that, that <laughs> then be pinned on them um and i can understand which, that which, which i understood yeah I, I i understood and i respect i respected yeah. that decision that they made they, mm. as, a, as an organization as a brand they thought okay we don't want this to be mm. pinned on us but i just felt that it showed a bit of weakness in the part of in the face of racism, because my point was, okay, well, what if these yeah. guys said they're going to turn up to every single one yeah. of your protests? Yeah, I, well, that's it. And I, I think it's, uh, I mean, the fact that they had to do that, I think illustrates there's a problem. So yeah. I think that's, exactly. yeah. Um, well, I'm proud of everyone that turned up and yeah. they did well. Um, and they, they did, I mean, and when, when the people that turned up for the protest, there's people of all colors, there's white people, Asian people, black people, Arab people, they're standing there and they're all in solidarity against racism. Mm. You know? So yeah. that, that was, was encouragement for me. It made me realise that it, is a, um, it isn't the majority that behave and think this consciously. You know, it's a small but very vocal group and uh, we need to stab that group out. Yeah. I think there's still lots of work to be done, but... Uh... Yeah but it's a, a conversation in process in progress. Yes, 100%, definitely. Excellent. Well, thank, thank you, you Rosie. Thank you very much for your time, Mike. Um, and thank Hello. you for, for talking so openly about this. It's, it's, uh, it's really good to get your, your perspective and your views on it. Um, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, Rosie. Excellent. And we'll catch up soon, no doubt. Definitely, definitely. I've got a few uh, niggles. Got a bad shoulder. Well, <laughs> let's, let's pick that one up offline and we can uh, we can sort that out. No Take care, Mike. Hi, I'm Steve and I produce the Combat Sports Clinic podcast. Hopefully you've enjoyed this episode. If so, you should head over to our website at www.combatsportsclinic.net and sign up to our free newsletter. It will keep you up to date with our latest content releases and other news about Rosie and the athletes she's working with. We also share any offers and discounts with our mailing list first, so it pays to sign up. Thanks for listening and we'll speak to you again soon.